All right, so I think I'd like to start off this week. Oh, that's that's a change. I have something very I I don't know. It's it's a little difficult for me to say this, but I feel brave and I've I I've decided to propose something on the air. Uh I don't want to marry you. Yes, you do, Eric, and you know it. No, this is this is serious. All right, I'm prepared. I get I think. I think at some point and I'm not going to go on a plane. I'm not going anywhere overnight. I'm not doing this Vegas bullshit that you do, but I would like to go to a Star Trek convention in the tri-state area. Again, I don't want to have to go out of the city if I don't have to. I will go as far as New Jersey, maybe even Pennsylvania, but I'm not sleeping anywhere else that's not my own bed. What? Really? Yes, I don't like to sleep in other people's beds. What, what brought this on? I don't know. I was watching the—I was—I got home from work last night— and I had to watch the episode, and I was really excited to watch the episode, and I just thought, you know something? Maybe this could be fun. I'm really touched. I know. Like, like, This like, is all I wanted out of this show. Look, listen, like I said, I'm not going to, I don't want to pay money for this. I don't want to have to do any special effort on my part, because I don't like to travel places. Well... I, I think this is great, and I think this is a breakthrough for, for you as a person, and, it's and a, for our friendship, and for the show. And f- it's, it's and, it for, the, for the Star Trek community. And for the Star Trek community, so, sure. Um, I, I have some bad news for you. What's up? Uh, there, there aren't any, um, so you will not be going to one anytime soon. But, uh, what do you mean that? There's always Star Trek conventions. Well, there aren't as many as there used to be. And, um, you know, back in the 90s when, when Star Trek was, like, huge and there were yeah. movies every two years and there were two TV shows on yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff, um, it, it, there was a lot of Star Trek and there were a lot of Star Trek conventions. And there aren't that many anymore. And I think, you know, there's really only, like, I think one company that, that does specific Star Trek conventions now, uh, Creation Entertainment. And I go to the Vegas convention. Um, I've gone for the past two years, and it's a lot of fun. I think that that probably would be a bit much for you. No, no, no. Uh, it's like so far away and you have to go in an airplane. Well, it's so far away. You don't like flying. It's, no. It's, it's four days of Star it, oh Trek. Oh, my God. I, I can't do this. I don't think you're ready for that, frankly. Uh, I, I was thinking like four hours maybe of Star Trek I could handle. Yeah, you could probably handle that. Um, and then I get home by nine and I go to bed and pray. The The closest Star Trek convention to, to New York where we live is in um, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. and unfo- South Jersey. It is. And unfortunately, they're not doing it next year. So I think the closest one would be Boston. Oh, God. But and Boston's the worst place I've ever been to. We don't need to go into specifics because this is not a show about yes, our we, personal lives. Y- but yes, we do. Boston is full of horrible people. We went, well, we might have listeners in Boston. Well, uh, they could move. Listen, I think anybody who listens to the show that is from Boston or lives in Boston... They're one of the good ones. ...is wonderful. I think you're great people. I'm sure that you uh, help old ladies cross the road and everything. But your city is a horrible wasteland of, of, of human excrement, basically. I did not like it. I didn't like it either. Um, so we may have to wait until 2016 for you to go to your first Star Trek oh, We'll still be doing this. But we'll still be doing this show. You will not have forgotten about Star Trek... And I think that's a really, it's a really good testament to the power of Star Trek because that's all I wanted out of this show. It's all I wanted to, to get out of this is for you to admit that you are a Trekkie. And I whoa, think, I'm not ready yet to say that. That perhaps you're not ready to say that yet because you are in denial 
oh. in the same way that Data is in denial about the fact that he has emotions. So <gasps> I'll just posit that. I love Data. But let's talk about Ensign Rowe. I loved Ensign Rowe. Is she a recurring character? She is. Good. Uh, I'm happy about that. I I kind of feel like Ensign Rowe is uh, the show realizing that they have treated women like objects. Like, I really was hoping, actually, I, I would not have been upset if they had put her in the main cast at this point, or at least as a, you know, recur, as a... I, I don't know, whatever Worf was in the first season. Yeah, he was like a recurring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like if she were an O'Brien, type, you know, because I do, I think she is a very, she's a good, well-written character. I yeah, liked I her. I thought she was really interesting and I liked this episode. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly um, how much background information to give you because I don't want yeah. to, you know, this is something that we can talk about later when we get to Deep Space Nine. But, but suffice it to say that uh, the Bajorans, the Cardassians. I know the Cardassians are both are, yeah. big. Do not call them Cardassians. They're <laughs> they're both big parts of Deep Space Nine. So this episode is another one of those episodes on the road to Deep Space Nine. Okay. Um, the, so, which I think is very interesting because again, we've seen Next Generation pull bits of itself that it, you know and reexamine those. So then. Uh, Deep Space Nine pulls out some threads from Next Generation and puts them in the forefront, is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny because I think that, you know, we'll we'll talk about the actual episode, but um, w- one of the things that I think is so interesting about, about Ensign Rowe and about the introduction of the Bajorans in this episode and uh, how the Cardassians are used in this episode is that, number one, the Cardassians, I think, are a little different in this appearance than they were in their first appearance, the Wounded. Um, they were much more of a, I think supposed to be nicer i guess is kind of where i was kind of the impression i was getting and uh it was it's interesting because as far as i can tell um they wanted the romulans to be the race that uh the bajorans were fighting against and i mean they can what they what the cardassians are doing is very romulan in this episode yes and so we actually have uh, rick berman to thank for Cardassians because he was the one who suggested that it should be the Cardassians. Okay. So there's that. I don't know that there's much else to say about it in this episode. I mean, the, but... the implication in the first Cardassian episode was that, you know, the facade is making its first cracks. Like, again, this is somebody that this is a, uh, a civilization that officially everything's fine. And everybody knows that there's nothing fine between the Federation and the Cardassians, but officially everything's fine. Right. So even though, like, I think it's actually funny that neither side trust each other, but they are, you know, especially in this episode when you have Picard talking, you know, our Cardassian neighbor and our Federation and the whole speech, like, both of them know exactly what's going on, but... Both of them are also keeping up the pretense, which I thought was very interesting. But we see, I mean, we saw that start that crack at the end of the first Cardassian episode, and we're seeing it crack further. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny because I, 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 I like this episode. I think it's very strong. I especially like the character of Ensign Rowe, and I, I don't think that there's many people out there that, that, that don't like her character. But I, I feel like this episode, as strong as it is, uh, could have been a little clearer because I have seen this episode, you know, a few times yeah, 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 and yeah. 
I still don't really understand what the hell was going on. No, it seems it, – it's it's one of those – now, here's the flip side of this because we've talked a lot about, again, the Klingon Civil War. We said that would be taken into a season. That would yeah. be rather than two episodes. Here may – I mean, here we have, like, three or four different wheels within wheels, like, plots, you know – so I mean, so let's. I think we need to attend because I mean, it may, would make maybe more, more sense if this was over the course of a season. But you know, if it had more room to breathe. But because let's go over how this is done. So you have a Federation admiral. You you have an attack on a Bajoran. Uh, uh, sorry, on a Federation outpost. Outpost. Right. And the Bajorans claim responsibility for it. Right. A, an admiral says, "What's happening is that." You know, the Bajorans and the Cardassians have been fighting all of this time. Now the Bajorans have attacked a Federation outpost to kind of force the Federation's hand and get them involved in the conflict. Sure. They go down onto the planet. They meet this arms dealer or this terrorist or whatever that um, they're supposed to be meeting. The supervillain from a Batman movie. The supervillain from the Batman movie. Yeah. Um, Acid Splash. Yeah. Um, Acid Splash vocoder. And – Meanwhile, Ensign Rowe has secret orders from the Admiral to essentially offer the terrorist leader whatever he wants. So you realize, okay, he's essentially fomenting a war between the Bajorans and the Kardashians, doing a proxy war, essentially. He's going to give the Bajorans enough you know, resources in order to have a fighting chance against the Cardassians. Okay, sure. That's, I mean, that that's so far. So, so, so what I'm understanding then, and, and I think I understand you as far as it goes, but, but, but. I mean, but that's not the full plot even. Well, that's what I, yeah. And that's what I don't understand is, and the one thing the episode never really has a clear answer for, and maybe it's just that the Admiral is corrupt. I don't know. But, and it, you know, this is, well, one of, he, but, but it seems to be that, that he is uh, designing this whole plot um, to get on the good side of the Cardassians for for some reason. Yeah, but he's being played just as much. Well, he is, sure. And and I think that's an important point. Yeah, but, because but what... I, I think once, you know, Picard starts leveling with him, you know, you the Admiral, re- you know, realize that, that the Admiral is actually over his head and he's been manipulated by the Cardassians this entire time. Yes. So what's actually happened is that the Cardassians want these Bajorans out of the way. Yeah, and they would love to give a blow to the Federation too, sure. if they could, while they're while they're while, while we're at it. So they essentially manipulate this general into starting a fight with the Feder with the uh, 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 um, with the Bajorans, hoping hoping to get the. That's, yeah, that's now, that's, now I'm like because we, it's at that point that it's a little too complicated. Yeah, that's that's the problem with the episode. And is again, that, if this had been stretched out over a season or several episodes, even on a two parter, given it a bit more room to breathe, let us trace these. Let us. I mean, because we see this, the Batman supervillain, he's in like one scene, number one, right? And he's immediately revealed to be oh well and and then he says they the bajorans didn't even attack the vessel right and so it's implied that the cardassians attacked the federation vessel and are framing the bajorans and it it's it's all just kind of like okay fine you get kind of a, a, a it's almost like a sense memory of a plot and and that's fine i mean yeah it's confusing and yeah it doesn't really like you get to a certain point a certain logical end point and you're kind of like okay but 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 how do you square this circle and yeah it doesn't work 
But I think it's okay I mean, because it, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Well, you get a sense. Of the you know the backstory of the Bajorans and the Cardassians and the Bajoran occupation and the backstory of Ensign Rowe and the backstory of this admiral and everything. Yeah, you know, if they couldn't juggle everything in forty five minutes, I don't think that that's that bad. And you know, the real meat of this episode is really Ensign Rowe. Well, she gets the title, yeah. She gets the title. She's obviously the most important character in the episode. And, or or is she? I don't know. I mean, you could make an argument that Guinan is more important, you know, wh- whatever. But, you know, and I do like the fact that the episode has a lot of those nice little resonances where, you know, Picard, uh, the th- you know, the, the thing about it is, is that, you know, Ensign Rowe, uh, is the kind of Starfleet officer that we haven't really seen in this universe before. She is an officer which... Uh, is she an officer? If, if she's an ensign, is she considered? Yeah, she's an officer. Okay. Um, she's not an... It's basically enlisted versus officers. Okay. Um, and Ensign is in, uh, like the lowest rank ensign of... Ensign is the lowest rank of an officer. But she... Okay. Uh, officers basically go to Starfleet Academy and enlisted okay. people don't. You know, like O'Brien's enlisted, for example. Um which is always a little unclear early on, but later on it becomes more clear. Yeah. So she is the kind of character that we haven't seen before in that she did something, or maybe she didn't, we don't know, uh, at this, you know, gallon two, they say. Um, yeah. And she got court-martialed and put into prison. And then she gets paroled, basically. She gets uh, Ramboed into service. Right. And so... Nobody's happy to see her. Like we don't know. We don't know the details of what she did. And what, I, I like the fact that the episode he, never goes into the details. Yeah, because... as it explains it, she made a call. She made her. She, she defied an order. Made a call. We see her as the kind of person who will, if she thinks something is right. You know, if she thinks a course of action is right, she'll defy an order to go for it with her heart. Sure. We've seen plenty of characters doing that over the series, and usually it ends up right. This is a time when she made a bad call. Or did she? We don't know. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. But that's... either way, eight people were killed. And eight... Well, that's what I like about it because we don't know exactly what happened. We only know it yeah. resulted in some deaths. And whatever we can imagine is so much worse probably than what they could have written. That... She's almost – I mean I... – and, and you really – I mean and the problem is yeah. like you know the reactions that everyone is having to her. I mean we yeah. have never seen Riker act like that towards oh, anyone before. And so you know it's almost like it's it's sort of this beyond the pale thing that she did that we don't know what she did. But we can imagine what she did and it's awful, right? It's almost implied that she – you know her – she did defy an order. I don't think that's ever – like that part is ever in question. Uh, it is very clear that she did not follow a direct order or she did something that was against orders or something like that. Right. But whether or not that directly led to the, the deaths of these eight, eight people, because that's another fact that nobody has disputed, or whether just they used that as the scapegoat to, in, in other words, when, you know, it seems like she wasn't court martialed for defying an order as for defying an order and eight people died and not defying an order which led to the deaths of eight people do you know what i mean like no, I see what they you're needed saying. to punish somebody and she did for these they needed to find somebody to blame for these the deaths of these eight people well let's go back and it, she happened to be there and she'd done something wrong a, a, anyway yeah, well, let, let's go back to, to last week with Redemption 2 and, yeah. and what Data did and, and, and that scene with Data and Picard yeah. at the end of the episode where Data says, look, I defied an order and I'm, I'm putting myself in for, for you know, admonishment. Yes. And Picard says, well, Starfleet doesn't want officers who blindly follow orders um, as long as the results are good. And yeah. so what we see is, is, is the flip side of that, really. We saw the flip side of, you know, she was de- – 
put her in the, that ship for redemption. She makes those scans, and they find nothing. And right. it turns out to be a wild goose chase. And meanwhile, then she goes – then then her ship goes back to where the other ships are going, and eight people have died, and she was there late. And, you know, whether she would have turned the tide or battle or not is irrelevant. They needed somebody who did something wrong to punish. Right, exactly. I mean, maybe it's a situation like that. But at the same time, she also is – she accepts the judgment onto her. I mean, the the bits with Guinan make it clear that she is – punishing herself and she is not necessarily martyring herself but especially given her background she is used to a certain uh degree of shame upon her for her heritage and, and hardship yeah i i mean she the bajorans are again a space jew race i mean we that right. that's supposed to be the implications here and so you see her Coming from a culture that almost has guilt and shame written into its DNA. Right, right. This this is the diaspora. I mean, yeah. you know, the implication, of course, is that the Cardassians annexed their, their home world and there are probably Bajorans living there still. Yeah. But a lot of them left and are, you know, sort of scattered amongst the galaxy and they're sort of like this mongrel, you know, horde, basically. Um, very poor and, and living hand to mouth. And, you know, what you see in Ensign Rowe, of course, is a character that, that, I mean, she even says as much in the episode where she said, I, I, you know, these people are broken and I'm not broken. So I had to leave. Um, You know, you see that early on in the episode where she makes the point that her last name is is Rowe. Her last name is not Laren. So, you know, the the earring thing. I mean, all these kind of things. You know, these are things that perhaps may become important or may not. We don't know. But they also are done in a way as her atonement for that. Because, I mean, when she... Meets with the guy on the planet, the uh, and y- y- you know, P- P- Picard remembers you know what Ensign Rowe had said and addresses him properly, and you know he's very you know he's surprised a bit you know he said oh you know you've learned our customs you know and he says oh Ensign Rowe talk and he basically says like I thought she'd forgotten because she did leave you know she he's essentially accusing her of having turned her back on her and yeah from what she says. I think when she first left for Starfleet, it was her way of saying, well, I'm not fully a Bajoran. You know, I'm better than that. And so Starfleet is what, you know, is going to help me realize my true potential. I could never do that as a – and especially after, you know, getting in trouble from Starfleet, you know, for doing what she thought was right, we can assume. I mean that's, I think, when her Bajoran heritage becomes more important. I think she's in a position of – She's not quite a super Bajoran in a lot of ways, but, you know, in the same sense that Worf is a super Klingon. Right. But I think she does make a point of trying to do a lot of things by the letter because that's her way of making up for giving up on it for a while. And I also think that, you know, there there's, inf- you know, there's information that comes later that, yeah. that, that Roe is uh, not a typical Bajoran for a lot of reasons, and I'll just put it at that. Um, but I, you know, what I like about her is that, you know, she could have very easily been just this kind of crunchy character that was there to add drama to the no. episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you really get a sense of her as a strong, independent person who, who is very, very conflicted about, you know, what she had to do. And, you know, even to the point where, you know, you get the impression that she is combative not because that's her personality but because that's how she's protecting herself i mean yeah it's a little bit of i mean she's fairly she's it's fairly clear she's a little bit unseasoned she's especially been in prison for the past while right she she is the kind of person who will make bad calls 
It, it happens. I think everybody on the show has made bad calls. But I think she's also in the position where— Picard has made bad calls. Yeah. Everyone has. But Picard has always had his network around him. Most of the people have their network around him. Most of the people have a track record of success. And so when Picard makes a bad call, when, when Data defies an order, Picard looks at him and says, well, every other time you followed orders, you don't defy an order just for the hell of it or, you know, for no good reason. You defy an order because you know— you know, because all of your training, all of your insight, you know, tell you that this is the right way to go. Right. And anyway, the result was good. Roe doesn't have that track record. And so before she's Ro, ready Ro to— Roe doesn't have that track record, and Roe also doesn't have the benefit of the doubt because she has a reputation. Yeah, and I, I can— And I think that's, the, that's the, the flip side of that. I can see her being the kind of person who wanted to prove herself the first week in Starfleet and made a mistake and— lost that initial trust as quickly as possible and therefore never really had an opportunity to prove herself and therefore never really had anybody to be a sounding board off of and never had anybody to give her good advice. And so, you know, she makes bad calls because nobody has helped her to make good calls in a way. And I think, you know, Guinan being friends with her, Guinan making the attempt to reach out you know, and say you need to start trusting people and you can trust Captain Picard. I mean, when Rogue goes to Picard and basically lays out the whole story, I mean, she's saying, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. I'm not experienced enough for this. And I mean, that's when Picard really finally starts to warm up to her and finally starts to actually, all right, how are we going to work at this? Because she admits she needs help at this point. Well, and more importantly, I think, you know, Picard, you know, there's that line where, oh, yeah. where you know, he, he says, well, Guinan is very yeah. selective about who she calls a friend. And so, you know, Picard is able to realize that, that Guinan uh, sees something in Ensign Rowe that perhaps even Picard missed. Guinan and so, is the first person to cut through and not because Guinan, no, Guinan, nobody else has met Ensign Rowe and they all hate her. Right. And Guinan is the only person who, who really could do that. Right. Because yes. Guinan is the only person that can walk into the bridge <laughs> and go into the ready room of the captain and, and tell him what's up. Yeah. Um, no one else gets away with doing that. Well, beyond, beyond her relationship with him, which it's implied that she told Rowe the story. I'm really fascinated by Guinan's backstory. She's given little trickles here and there. Right. But um, we'll, we'll find out more about her backstory um, before the show is over. OK, we never really find out her full backstory, but something I mean, we, we know that her homeworld was destroyed by the Borg. We know she was around for that. Right. We know that at some point in the past 20 or so years, she was in a very bad trouble and Picard helped her out of that. Right. That's, you know, and the two of them have, again, this relationship. She, what does she say? We're closer than family, closer than, you know. Right, right. That. So. Yeah, she says that in uh, in Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. Part two, right? And meanwhile, she's, again, we, we need to point out she's not a mem- She's not a Federation officer. She's no. a bartender. You right. know, she just happened. This is just her job. Right. And so she doesn't. She is an outsider character in a lot of ways, but the outsider character in a way which makes her neutral and kind of unaffiliated. Well, I also think it's interesting that Guinan, the unaffiliated, un, you know, unstarfleet character, plays such a pivotal role in this episode because yeah. how does the episode begin? The episode begins with the barber talking Picard's ear off about <laughs> troop movements, and Picard's just kind of like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, and then when he goes back, I love when he goes to Riker, and he's like, Riker, were you talking to? He's like, yeah, he's the best barber in Starfleet. You know? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, like, and I, I like that because, you know, it indicates that, 
this is a different kind of society, but it also kind of nicely bookends, you know, yeah, there's one uh, civilian who is kind of just pretends to know everything and, and pretends to have good advice and, and, and pretends to have like really strong relationships with the captain and everybody in power. Then you have Guinan who really has no, as far as I can tell, she has no ego, you know, she has no artifice. I mean, she is who she is and, and she really does have that relationship that, that the barber wants to have with the captain, yeah. um, but doesn't, have well that's and and that she doesn't she doesn't abuse that as well i mean she only uses that influence in her relationship with picard when it's very very we've seen it two or three times i mean the best of both worlds is one when she insinuates herself to Riker is one of those um yesterday's enterprise is a version where but we've only seen it this trickle of times yeah and and i'm deliberately not naming these episodes because i want to see if you can do it and you can so that's more yeah proof for my well i mean the theory that richard is a trekkie oh fuck you um <laughs> but no i mean anytime that you know and and again yesterday's enterprise is a perfect example because you know guinan saying you know i have a feeling and you know and picard basically says well you know I can't do anything with that, but at the same time, you know, you have Guinan-level credibility. You have a Guinan does not bother Picard every five minutes, so the times she does, again, it's it's crucial. Guinan does not call everybody your friend, even though there are probably a lot of people— there are probably a lot more people who would say Guinan is their friend than Guinan would say is friends. You know what yes, I mean? Like, yeah, ex- you know. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. Every single person who would comes to Ten Bar loves Guinan, and while Guinan loves all of them, you know she keeps guarded. She and Jordy seem to have a pretty good relationship, but I yeah. doubt that she would call Jordy a friend. Yeah, she's probably one. He's probably one of her favorite customers, right. and like and vice versa. He's in all the time, and they enjoy chatting. But that's where that ends. Yeah, I do want to go back to to Ensign Rowe, though, because I I think you have kind of an interesting read on her character, and I don't want to say too much about it, but but I think you're you're a little, you're a little off on her characterization, yeah. but I don't think you're off. I don't think you're off in a way that is unwarranted by by watching this episode. Yeah, and I was gonna say I I know we've a couple times you know when a thing has recurred later you know the first episode is always a little different. Yeah, and there's a you know there's a lot of sort of not I guess not half formed ideas, but but un, uh, sort of not fully baked ideas because. Uh, the Bajorans are, are are quite different in later appearances, yeah. and especially in Deep Space Nine. You know, the Cardassians are still very unformed at this point. Um, Ensign Rowe as a character is is sort of unformed at this point. And so, so what you get in this episode is, I think it's 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 very interesting because on the one hand, as a as an episode of of the Next Generation, I think it works very well. It does have some problems, as we said, but it works pretty well. Uh, but at the same time, as you get deeper into the next generation yeah. of Deep Space Nine, there's a lot of nice little, you know, it's able to to flesh out the world in a nice way. I mean, the, the one problem I have with this episode is that it does feel like, it feels like an episode where they're introduced, so what, what is this, the third episode of the second season? Yeah. So we're at the beginning, so we're still enough at the beginning of this fifth season that, you know, it could be, it could introduce a bunch of new concepts to that it's going to flesh out over the season, over the next couple of years. And, you know, it's introduced Ensign Rowe. It's introduced the Bajorans. It's said the Kardashians are really important now. It's brought up a bunch of—I cannot help pronounce it that way. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing every time he says Kardashians. I can't help it. It's my accent. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> It's the kind of episode that's introducing a bunch of stuff, and— if it does feel like it, 
I feel like almost so much happened in this episode that it felt like nothing happened. I could if see that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, again, once you get to the third layer of this convoluted plot, and maybe if I watched the episode another time or two, it would have clarified itself for me. I'm not sure. But, again, what exactly, you know, the the, the mechanics of the conspiracy or whatever we're going to call it are a little irrelevant. What it matters is that I, I think what we're supposed to get from this is, you know, Ensign Rowe is a character, the Bajorans are a force, and the Kardashians are officially an enemy. I think that's if we leave this episode with that, even if we haven't figured out the exact what goes where, I think it's pretty all right. Well, I, you know, yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think maybe as a final summation for this episode before we move on to Silicon Avatar is that, you know, we see the Enterprise going to planets and going to moons or whatever and, and helping, right? And, and that's how we always sort yeah. of envision this. They, they come to the rescue and they fix things. And this episode kind of, it it makes the universe a little more morally gray. It makes the universe a little, I hate to use the word gritty or dark because they're so overused, but, you know, because unbeknownst to us, there has been tremendous suffering going on for 40 years that the Federation has done jack shit about. And yeah, it's the dark side of the Prime Directive, really. And and they they even go that far to say that when they're talking to that guy, Keeve. Yeah, and he basically says, look, you know, suddenly, you know, one Federation outpost is attacked and suddenly, you know, you're here and you're going to do everything for us. And, you know, he basically... You know, we, we, we've talked about how sometimes, why don't people trust the Federation? We've seen that a bit in the original series. Um, what was the one episode? Was that... I'm not sure which one you're talking about. Um, where they're trying to get dilithium from the planet and, you know, the people... On oh, the pl- a muck time. That was a muck time? No, not a muck time. Sorry. Uh, mirror, mirror. Yes. And, you know, basically, you know, he says, like, oh, well, the Klingons would have just taken it. We're not just taking it. You know, that's important, you know. Right. You know, know, but we've seen a bunch of the. Why don't they trust the Federation? They're the Federation. Well, this is starting to bring up why people don't completely trust the Federation because, yeah, what does. Why is the Federation suddenly taking interest in us? What do they want? Right. You know, they must want something. And we see in situations like this. Planets are not necessarily unjustified in saying that. Yeah, I think so. You know, because, you know, if you look at what, what of course, and, and from the Federation's perspective and from Starfleet's perspective, yeah. they're in between a rock and a hard place. Yes, because, yes. of course, if they come, you know, full force to the aid of the Bajorans, then the Cardassians are probably going to get pissed off and yeah. it's going to start a war. So, you know, the, I understand, you know, both yeah, sides. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where neither option is good. Right. There's, there's got to, something is going to suck about either choice and... It's the kind of thing where, again, the Federation has to uses the Prime Directive as its yardstick for what the right decision is. And whether or not it's the right decision for every situation, they can't, they can't willy-nilly go breaking that. They committed to this principle. And so even when they see children suffering, you know, and being cold and, you know, well, we can't break that. We can't just break that for this. Right. And well, and I also think that that it 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 makes the universe a little more morally gray without yeah. making the Federation evil, right? Yes. Which I think is important. Yeah, you can have somebody entirely good making you know wrong calls, and that's what the Prime Directive is all about. At the end yeah. of the day, is you don't know what the 
outcome of your decisions are going to be. So it's better to not make a decision, and which, you know, whether or not you find that to be more a morally justified yeah. position or not, that is the position position of the show. Hmm. I wonder if uh, that has something to say about God, but that's a different story. And and it also, you know, and frankly, it does also make me wonder if, you know, I we haven't talked about Roddenberry in a while because Roddenberry, you know, wasn't really. I was going to say, wasn't he much, really sick at this point? Then? He was very sick at this point, and he died, I think, only a couple months after this episode was filmed. So. I mean, you know, frankly, I don't know if if if, you know, this this could, you know, like everyone says, well, Deep Space Nine, for example, would would not be the same show if Roddenberry had still been alive. I don't think he would have been allowed a lot of the stuff that yeah, went yeah, on in yeah. Deep Space Nine to go on. Um, all these kind of things. And this may be the beginning of that. Road I mean, we for see, Star Trek. we've seen the if we talk about Roddenberry style as being original series and the first few seasons of Next Generation. What we are dealing with right now is so different from that. I mean, this doesn't. But it doesn't. Feel- it has. The, it certainly has its roots in yes. Roddenberry's ideas. And it, but we're at a point which is which isn't taking everything Roddenberry says is in a way holy in a way which or which which recognizes there are a lot of flaws in that. I think it's looking at the initial. We at this point the show has looked at its initial conception and said. Okay, well, there are these ideas, and these are really good. You know, we want to have this optimisticness. We want to have the sense of the Federation as trying to be good in all, you know, in all times. We want to have the sense of people be, you know, people are the same everywhere. You know, and those kind of things. But at the same time, here's some problems that, you know, with the initial conception of that, or here's some limits to that. Yeah, yeah, and it's- it makes it. It, it 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 makes it uh, feel a little more morally ambiguous without a, making it feel like a different a show. It feels like the sh- this, the franchise is starting to grow up at this point. Yeah, and I I you know I wouldn't want to say that. You know I don't want to go down the road of saying that morally ambiguousness or, or grittiness or darkness is is more mature than the sort of bald faced optimism of the original no. series and the you know the, the first few years of the next generation because you know I don't think that the next generation ever you know, fully commits to this road. Um, and I certainly think that, you know, we will, ha- I'm sure that you will have a lot of interesting things to say, and I will have a lot of interesting things to say um, about Deep Space Nine when we get there. Yeah. Um, I will only say right now that I think a lot of people fundamentally misread Deep Space Nine, um, but we'll talk about that you yeah, know, yeah, in yeah. a few months. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that the value of Star Trek is, allowing people to visit a world where intentions are good and that more often than not, they do the right thing. And more often than not, people want to do more, maybe more importantly, more often than not, people want to do the right thing. And I think we will see that in Silicon Avatar as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, I just think it's significant that the Picard explicitly calls the Admiral naive. At one point, and I, th- I think it's making the the series makes the point that there's a difference between being good and being naive. You know, like and I think like, yeah, I, like think I, I think it makes it clear that you can be very good and you can also be naive and make the wrong call. You can also be good and be very su- savvy and be very suspicious. I think that's They're a good. Not I think incompatible. that's I think that's a good point, and I think that uh, if this had been the kind of show that I am tired of. Picard would have been the one that the show would have viewed as naive instead of the Admiral. And I don't think that that's the case. Yeah. I think the, the Admiral is naive, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and Picard yeah. is not. And, and you know, in a different show, it would have been reversed. But yeah. Picard realizes, you know, but, and again, you know, well, let's go back to the first Cardassian episode where basically he said, you know, 
He says at the end, you know, I knew the Cardassians were lying, but the mission was to protect that treaty yep. between us. And no matter what, you know, it's better to have both sides, you know, lying through their teeth at each other and know that they're lying through their teeth at each other and have no guns pointed. You know, as long as we can yeah. pretend to be friends, maybe if we do it for long enough, it'll it'll it, stick. It could eventually stick, you yeah. know, because, again— this is a universe where we've seen the Klingon alliance doing that, you know, the where they the Klingons and the Federation became allies through an accident, and maybe it's not, and it's certainly not a hundred percent okay, but it's things are so much better, and you know, give it another generation, maybe things will be even closer between the two. Yeah, I'll give this one uh, seven blankets. It's got six and a half. Okay. Oh, who got the half a blanket? The was it that kid, little girl? Because it because she's teeny. Aw, it's a really big blanket. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Silicon Avatar. And yet, I didn't like the first chunk of this episode because I'm so not into the crystalline entity, and I'm just so not into we're running from the crystalline entity. And I thought, all right. I th- I think from a production point of view that was a very effective scene. I mean, it was very it was um, it was a good action scene. I will say that, but. It was not the kind of thing I felt like watching last night, I could, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you know, w- one of the things about this episode, I like this episode. I think it's... Well, it goes into a much more interesting place than it starts. It's a much, it's a much, I think, deeper episode than it starts out to yeah. be. You know, what I like... Yeah, I think the best Star Trek episodes are ones that, you know... Um, or, or maybe one of the best types of Star Trek episodes are the ones that make sort of a hard left turn. Yeah. And this one is definitely one oh. of those episodes. I mean, if you watch this episode in the first 10 or 15 minutes, you know, you think, oh, my God, this is going to be an episode about them being trapped in a cave. Yeah, that's wanted, kind of be, where I thought it because, would be. Because they had location shooting in the first, two, you know, the, the, the last two episodes and they needed to save some money. You yeah. know, and so like <laughs> you were like, oh, my God. But it's not that episode. Yeah. And, and it one, actually once goes, the doctor comes in. It becomes fascinating. And then it also ends in a way that was a hard left turn as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yet not out of character and everything like it was the kind of it was the kind of twist ending that made sense the entire time. But also, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, it's the kind of ending where when you watch it, I think you go, why didn't I see that coming? Oh my god, completely. And yet everything is done in such a way that you you're in, you're invited to misread it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, you're supposed to think, "Oh, you know, this woman is mad at Data because you know, he looks like the person who killed yeah. her son and blah blah blah. blah oh blah, my blah. god, it's so sad, you know, little violins, whatever." But what it turns out to be, of course, is is a woman in immense pain. Oh my god, yeah, and it ends on such a hopeless note in a way i don't know if i would say it's hopeless yeah, you but... know it's just it's an opportunity where okay, we have to talk about optimism this is an optimism episode this is star trek at its most optimistic being derailed by somebody who is not optimistic and yet we watch this character we watch her going through the episode we watch her getting over her fear of data we watch her you know the moment when she's looking at the crystalline entity and saying oh my god it's beautiful and all of that gives the impression that this is star trek doing what it does right it's converting somebody who is murderous and angry and 
getting them to realize the beauty and the sacredness of all life. And we, as the audience, have finally, you know, we realize, oh my god, the crystalline entity is beautiful, and it is a rare thing, and we can communicate with it, and maybe something, you know, maybe we can finally, because this has been a plot line that's been, you know, touched on, and and, and it's recurred for a while. Yeah. Um. This is part of Data's significant backstory. And for a moment, you think there's this going to be this wonderful connection, and we're going to learn this new life form, and her refusal to get to that point destroys it. And that's, yeah. I guess, the true – I mean it's a very tragic episode in a lot of ways because she's the only person who doesn't believe in this anymore. And, and and the Federation has failed not to protect the entity but to kind of convert her in a way. I think it's a little different than that. I mean I, 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 I totally get your reading and yeah. I think it's valid. I think I would say a slightly different thing, which is that she is the type of person that has slipped through the cracks of the Federation. Yeah. That – it's not that the Federation has not converted her. It's that the Federation, she's they haven't taken care of her. You know, this, this is a person who, who I'm sure, you know, believes in, in the Federation ideal. She's a Federation citizen. She's a scientist. I mean, you know, she was having oh, yeah. a good life with her son or whatever. And then this thing swoops in and, the Fe, you know, Starfleet was not able to protect Omicron Theta and kills her son. And she wasn't there and she feels responsible for his death. And she, you know, she feels what? that Data is responsible for his death and all of these things. And so... And of course, the crystalline entity is responsible as well, ultimately. Yeah. But and and she devotes her life to, to cracking the code of the crystalline entity. But at the end of the day, this is a person who uh, her pain and her desire for revenge were not picked up on by anybody, and she's able to, you know, it, it's really a it's 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 a failing of the the system that she lives in. You know? I think maybe it's because you have a culture that is so devoted towards the protection of you know beings like this that i don't know her attitude almost seems shocking to them because picard would never think that way and so he almost doesn't see it coming yeah i mean you get the sense that nobody you know once she's doing this once they once they realize what's happening everybody is shocked because she fooled them all well and here's the interesting thing though is that you know, did she fool them all? Because, you know, it's hard. I mean, the, the, I liked that this, I like that this episode is a very difficult episode to, to wrap around in a way. Well, because, because, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, I agree with you, but I, I think that, that data, you know, if data was, I mean, I hate to say, it, but if data was a person, I think that he would have realized that she was more dangerous than perhaps, anybody had realized you know i mean she was getting data to read his journal in her dead son's voice yeah that is an action of a crazy person oh no well i don't i don't want to say crazy but but you know like she goes mad with grief i think that i think that's a fair way of saying she has this sort of like you know kind of in show it grief that that she doesn't understand and is not even really realized that it's there right and she's so mad with grief that um, and, and she hasn't dealt with this, obviously, you know, she's never gone to see a, a counselor perhaps. And, and so, but what I think is more interesting about that is, is, is not that because we've seen that before, but, but about what data does with that information and what data does with that information is nothing. Well, and so does... in a way, the end of the episode and the death of the crystalline entity is data's fault. Mm-hmm. It isn't, it isn't, but well, I mean, her... yeah, no, 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 I know. Like, and I think one of that, 
I think that's one of the interesting things because this is another episode that's dealing with a situation of a bunch of people died and we want to blame somebody. Right. We don't have an Ensign Rowe who made a bad call and, you know, got these people killed. We don't have any of this. So we it have— It was the old man's fault. What a jerk. <laughs> um, Riker just wanted to get his dick wet. and now I he know. Won. He just wanted dessert. She was going to make some chocolate pudding with ice cream and cake. I'm really sorry, but I, I, I think in my notes I wrote the word ew like five <laughs> times because I was just like— I, just, I no. love watching Riker mack it. He's really good at He's it. He's really good at it. it I it picked up a, tips. It's such a it's such a weird opening for this episode. Like it's just like, ha ha, Riker wants to have sex with her in her vagina, and then like, well, I mean, to be fair, she wants to have sex with him. No, in her it vagina. totally. I mean, she's a she's an independent woman yeah. of the twenty fourth century, and she totally wants to listen. They're they've have had, her, they've done a lot of work. She can finally relax for the first time in months or years, and. There's a handsome, handsome starship, you know, first officer. She's going to have a great time. She wants her cervix filled with Riker's nice Please don't penis. finish this sentence. Uh, but, you know, and that's fine. That's two adults that are having a good, wholesome time. Um, but it's such a weird opening and for this episode. And then she gets curled up. And then she, yeah, then she dies helping an old man. And suddenly you're like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, what, what is going on here? You know, because it's like, you don't know where this episode is going. You yeah, have no yeah, idea. Yeah. Like, this episode makes like five hard left turns in the whole thing. And it's like, you know, I thought, you know, you think like, okay, lore might show up. I mean, like, whatever. I mean, you know. It's, it's, it's... a clusterfuck episode. And I like clusterfuck episodes to a degree. Right. Yeah. And it's funny that the being which wipes out all life forms turns out to be the least dangerous you know creature in this in this episode but again up till up till the point when she puts that tone on this is a horda episode this is you know because i think it's fairly clear that this is a creature of some intelligence and i think if they were to have a figure out a communication with it it would go to the Oh my God, those were living things. I was just feeding off of energy. I had no idea, you know. Right, like, right. It would be one of those, and the Federation and it would work out some kind of a deal, or they would put, you know, they would figure something out. They'd strap a replicator to him. Mean, who knows? But you know that. But yeah, I mean, this is looking at the issues brought up by the original series and saying, you know, which were a much again, we're a much grayer world than that. I mean, I guess in a sense, but I think, you know, I don't want to ascribe a entire feeling on the world of the next generation because of one woman. No, but, but I mean? this is like, I think that this is really an episode about one woman's grief. And, and this is a Moby Dick episode. But like, this, no, no, you know, no, well, it isn't. But I, I guess looking at the entire picture, looking at the past four and four seasons we've seen. The Federation and the members of the Federation are different things in a way. I think the Federation itself is good, but – and I think men – most, if not all – if not many of the people in the Federation are good and mean well and have good intentions. And that is very important. But at the same time, we see naivete. We see people trapped yeah, by but... grief. We see all of these – we see people who have human failings and human feelings and – who are not always able to live up to that ideal, and that's when that's when things start to fall. And I don't think it's not saying that's bad. I don't think that the series is making it. I think it's the series is making it clearer why we need to work with each other because we're not when we're not together when we're not helping each other and we're not trying to address each other's needs. Things like this happen. I would agree with that, but I I, I think that 
you know, the next generation is not different from the original series in that regard. Because if you think about Devil in the Dark, those miners wanted to fucking kill that. Oh, yeah. If you think back to the Doomsday Machine, machine, Commodore Decker was fucking nuts. Like, you know, obsession with Captain Kirk. I mean, you know. Yeah, but those, they all managed to save the day in the end. Yeah, well, it was the 60s. I mean, you know, it was a different time. You know, I mean, this is a show that that is able to to end the episode on a down note in a way that the original series you know, could not get could away not, with, yeah. you know? And I think that, that I don't think that they're saying anything about that. The world is different. I think they're just saying that the environment that we are making this television yeah, show yeah. in is different than the original series. That's, that's, I, th- I think we're talking, I could maybe, this is maybe more of a semantic argument at this point, but no, I well, don't. Yeah. We certainly haven't had those. Yeah. Right? Show before. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, you know, as as it goes, I think that, you know, this is an episode which this is one, I think, one of the first times that the the failing of Data as an android is so stark because, you know, go back to like in theory from a few weeks ago where Data was pretending to to be in a romantic relationship. Um, this is another example of Data just kind of I think Data believes that everybody knows exactly what they want. And and every, yeah. what they and and more importantly that what they want is good for them. It's, I mean, there was a point. There was a point to where her wanting to find out stuff from the journals. That's in a way innocuous. That's I would that's say. fine. But I think I yeah. It, I I think when she find you know she wants she wants to know was my son did my son resent being there did he resent me leaving him there you know did he hate me those are valid questions for her to know those are the big questions that have been unanswered in her life and data answers them all no he actually respected you he loved his life there he was happy what happened there was tragic but he didn't suffer on top of that it's not like you left him in a shitty place you know what I mean like it's yeah but I think I think what the difference is is that number one um the line is crossed when she crosses she asks data to to yeah pretend to be her son in essence and it puts her in this sort of feedback loop of grief right yeah and then also and also the the other problem is that data doesn't data doesn't I don't know I don't know if data doesn't realize that self-destructive behavior exists or he doesn't know how to recognize it and either one is bad but you know, this is an example of Data not recognizing that she's engaging in some very yeah. self-destructive behavior. And frankly, I don't think that, you know, Data is not stupid. And I think that Data probably intellectually understands that that exists because I'm sure Data has a psychology degree yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. He has, you know, he has he's the, read human literature. Right. But he doesn't he doesn't know how to uh, 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 emote and he doesn't know how to sort of internalize it. It's all intellectual to him. And I think that more importantly perhaps is that even if he can recognize self-destructive behavior he may not know that people can engage in self-destructive behavior without knowing that they're doing it yeah and I that's mean, that's the real takeaway here i think i want I mean, i'm thinking about the scene where the two of them are working on you know the computer and you know she's asking him the basic stuff about from his journals and She's working as she's asking. Like, she's like, what did he say? Did he say this? And he tells her, okay, I've calibrated this thing, you know? And it's almost helping her focus in yeah. a way, which is how Data thinks. I mean, we, we, we learned from, uh, you know, when he had a girlfriend that this is how he works. He does devote a cycle to, you know, whatever personal problems are going on. But the rest are also dealing with, you know, the computer and calibrating and, you know, and the mission and the theater. 
in a way, hers is she is thinking along those same lines. We can assume that she probably has a very similar thought process to Data in that she does tend to focus on her task. She probably does have three or four different thoughts going on at once. That's just who she is. And so I think he may even think that she's just getting more information. He would – he doesn't see anything wrong with her wanting that information because he can certainly see that it's relevant to her. He can, And if she wants him to read the journal in the son's voice, well, that only makes sense because it's mimicking how it would have it actually been read – he doesn't realize, he doesn't make that connection that, oh, this is actually not helping her focus. It's actually hurting her. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the real, the real key. Yeah, here. I, 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 so I, th- I think that's a bit more, uh, it's a different, it's slightly different than how you put it with same basic. Again. I think it's the same basic point. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I also think that, that at the end of the episode, you know, there's some indication that data is starting to realize that yeah. because, you know, he does say that he thinks that her son would be sad. I mean, he, you know, and so I think that he does sort of start to understand that uh, perhaps this was not the best thing to do. And this was not the best thing to do. You know, yes, it's, it's, it's perhaps it's sad that the crystalline entity is gone. It was a unique creature that, you know, Starfleet's uh, uh, mission is to seek out new life and new civilizations. And they unfortunately killed uh, this, which is not the first time that they've done this, perhaps. No. You know, I mean, for you know, let's not forget Galaxy's Child from last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they accidentally killed the mother of that thing. Um, but the other thing I think is that, you know, they, you know, Data doesn't realize that uh, you can't... You can't always fix everything with logic and you can't always fix everything with, you know, with... with giving people exactly what yeah. they want. Sometimes you have to tell people that what they want is not good for them. I th- Yeah, I think that she... <laughs> I'm thinking about the moment for <laughs> when Q asks for like a dozen Sundays, but... Um... Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm in a really bad I'm in a really... <laughs> no, I'm really hungry. That's what he says. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... I mean, what she wants is to have her son back, really. That is the – she doesn't care about the crystalline entity. She wants her son. And as as grief-stricken that thought is, that is her motivation on here. And I don't think Data – I don't think anybody recognizes that. Data certainly doesn't. And I don't know. I I, I think – the he doesn't realize that what he's doing is not giving her information about her son. In her mind, he's becoming her son. Yeah, and he doesn't realize that until the very end when you know he leads her away and she's like, "Oh, talk as my son again. Tell me this. Tell me what I want." And she basically says, "Tell me one what I want to hear." And it's at that moment that I think it finally clicks that you that's not what you want. You that's don't, not what yeah, you're yeah. doing. Yeah, or that's and or not even that's not even what data can provide because. You know, he he says himself, he doesn't say that in a journal entry, you know. I could tell you what exactly he did think, you know, how he, what right. he did write, but he wants something that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure exactly how much more there is to say about this, but, you know, I do want to ask you, though, what you, I mean, were you chomping at the bit to have a follow-up to data lore? I mean... I had forgotten about the crystal identity in this episode, and actually, that was kind of part of my... 
eh about the beginning of it because I didn't right. really it's not one of the more interesting, you know, villains in a way in the towards the end again once they showed it in full and it is starting to communicate with them there was potential for it to be and I mean the episode is that it has the sense of snuffed potential is I think an uh, it's a feature of the episode in a yeah. way. I mean, we're sub- I felt at that point, oh my god, this is finally gonna this could be fascinating and it's destroyed before they can even fit begin. I mean, I think it's interesting that they do bring the crystalline entity back and it's sort yeah. of a follow-up to that and, you know, Data's backstory is something that I'm never very fond of just because it reminds me of when the show was crappy, uh, frankly, yeah, more than anything else and, you know, it, it's just something where, like, when we got Brothers last year and we finally saw Dr. Noonie and Soong, it was not very good. They didn't... They didn't really do much with yeah. it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, I sort of feel like it's a, a problem for the episode on that level you know, I think that if Data's backstory was a little more meaningful or a little more interesting, I think that the episode maybe would have, you know, been bumped up to the next tier. Yeah. Uh, as it is, it is a very strong episode. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in here about Data and how he processes emotions and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think this episode is just kind of... I mean, it could have been any monster, really. That yeah. They, that they picked one that had some resonance already. That's economy of storytelling. That's something that I like when the next generation does it again because it doesn't make it seem like they're just putting stuff out there and forgetting about right, it. Like right. somebody remembered the story of the crystalline entity on the writing staff. They wanted to write the story where they had the scientist who was chasing after something which killed her son. It could have been anything. They could have created something just for the episode. But why not use something we've used before? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put the, it, and it, it, it makes the world seem a little bit tighter. more expansive. Yeah, exactly. Tighter and more expansive at the same time, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, that's life. Contradictions. Yeah. All right, well, I will give this one... Uh, 17 crystalline entities. I'll give it five Riker Mackin. Riker Mackin. Yeah. Well, next week we are talking about uh, Disaster. <laughs> We've been talking about that for months. And the game... Which uh, I will tell you right now. With Michael Douglas? No. Although we can do a podcast on that if you would like to. Really? Uh, No. Uh, This is, I will not, I'll just tell you this right now because I'm not spoiling anything because I I just checked the Netflix description and it it does say this right in the description. Uh, The game is the return of a character that left last season, uh, Wesley Crusher. So good look forward to that. Richard is not happy. It's actually not a bad episode. It cannot be! Whoa. I never realized you had such a... I never did either, but I just don't... Such a strong dislike of of Wesley Crusher. (sighs) Apparently I do. All right. I'm one of you folks now. (laughs) All right. Well, we're done with the show. We're done. We're just, you know... Goodbye. Richard's just going to go home and watch all of Star Trek now. He doesn't want to wait five more years. Yeah, I'm not going to report on any of it. Just bye, folks. It's been fun. (laughs) All right. We'll see. I love you. (laughs) We'll see you next week for a disaster and the game.